You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending October 9th, 2015. Hi, and welcome back to our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Bill's colleague, content developer and fellow news writer, Dara Curran. The administration this week issued a new policy memo that asks agencies to integrate into their existing decision-making pathways processes for considering the environment and whether their planned or proposed actions would have a positive or negative effect on it. The joint October 7th memo from the Office of Management and Budget, Council on Environmental Quality, and Office of Science and Technology Policy notes that essentially, nature is good. (laughs) But because you can't put a price on a common good like this, it often isn't necessarily taken into consideration, and this memo is aiming to change that. It's not going to be too complex. It doesn't sound like once the initial plans are laid out. The idea is simply to help agencies make more informed decisions, avoid accidentally doing harmful things. And in the cases where something from the ecosystem is being used for money, like timber or food, agencies can make educated cost-benefit decisions. So how this will work, a very preliminary draft plan of how agencies want to implement this is due to the Council on Environmental Quality by March 30th. But the Council is going to be taking the next 14 months to work with subject matter experts to come up with detailed guidance, which will be put up for review by agencies and the public, then rolled out government-wide. The General Services Administration has added three new category hallways to its acquisition gateway tool, bringing the total number to 17. These new categories are telecommunications, information technology services, and IT security. Pretty hot topics, if I do say so myself. And GSA's also made a variety of new spiff-ups and service expansions to the gateway, such as a revamped homepage with easy-to-access sections, a prices-paid portal, shared services hub, and a project center where users can build their own acquisition. Federal agencies can also soon look forward to using a ready-made cloud platform, courtesy of the U.S. Digital Service and GSA's 18F team. The cloud platform as a service option will provide a stable, requirements-compliant base from which agencies can launch and manage web-based applications, quickly obtain authority to operate, and use templates to generate system security plans. President Barack Obama will be searching for a new Secretary of Education soon, now that Arne Duncan has announced his plan to step down in December. The President has tapped current Deputy Secretary John King Jr. to serve as Acting Director until a replacement is named. The Department of Homeland Security is launching its own digital services team, which will be led by Eric Heisen, a founding member of the White House's U.S. Digital Service. The DHS Digital Service will focus on a variety of mission-critical areas, including working to modernize the agency's immigration system, responding to disasters, and improving information security practices. The Central Intelligence Agency also is getting in on the innovation trend with a new Directorate for Digital Innovation, or DDI, which will help integrate technology with agency missions. DDI Deputy Director Sean Roche says the directorate will enable the agency's enterprise and mission-specific IT systems to be considered a single agency organization. 
the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has released an IT management maturity model, which is intended to help agencies assess their progress implementing the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act and also provide best practices for IT governance. The model provides recommendations for assessing organizational maturity in five critical functions of IT management, including governance, budgeting, organization and workforce, project management, and acquisition. For each function, the model defines the attributes of basic capability, evolving maturity, and demonstrated maturity, which agencies can use to assess their organizational development. The model focuses on the behaviors and outcomes expected at each level of maturity, rather than on organizational hierarchy and processes, so that it can be applied to both small agencies and large, diversified departments. Assessment attributes are organized into several broad categories, including horizontal and vertical integration of stakeholders, decision authorities, information and evidence-based decision-making, project timelines, risk management, and information security. The model also links elements in the common baseline of the Office of Management and Budgets for Terra Implementation Guidance to the assessment areas where developers believe an agency would have achieved the requirements of the common baseline, and those links are highlighted in the assessment matrix. ACT-IAC is accepting feedback to strengthen the model. That's a really smart idea for them to be sort of laying out. I mean, it's such a new concept, really, Fatara, and uh, you know the, these benchmarks and what this should look like. That's 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 good. Right. Sure. Yes. It's yes. Very useful to a lot of agencies. Yes. Good. Good questions for agencies to ask about their processes. The Department of Defense has awarded Boeing a $4 billion contract to upgrade threat detection capabilities for the Air Force's fleet of F-15 fighter jets. Along with subcontractor BAE Systems, Boeing will develop a replacement for the current tactical electronic warfare system, which will be installed on more than 400 F-15C and F-15E aircraft. An October 8th deviation from Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy Director Claire Grady provides proposers on defense contracts additional time to add multi-factor authentication capabilities as an additional information security safeguard. Offerers will be granted up to nine months to align their systems with specifications in National Institute of Standards and Technology Special Publication 800-171 pertaining to local and network access for privileged accounts and network access to non-privileged accounts. The deviation is effective immediately and includes a related provision and clause for contracting officers to use. And we had three proposed rules this week. First up, the Small Business Administration has published a proposed rule that would amend its regulations to allow an other-than-small prime contractor with an individual subcontracting plan to receive credit towards its small business subcontracting goals for subcontract awards made to small business concerns at any tier. Currently, other than small primes establish their subcontracting goals and receive credit toward their goal performance only at the first tier of subcontracts. Lower tier reporting credit will not apply if a subcontracting plan applies to more than one contract or to one contract with more than one executive agency. Subcontracting dollars must only be reported once for the same award to avoid double and triple counting the dollars, even though a small business subcontract may be reported under more than one subcontracting plan. In addition, the rule would establish requirements for reviewing and approving subcontracting plans. Comments on that proposed rule are due by December 7, 2015. And we also had two 
proposed FAR changes. The first would amend the FAR to require the head of the contracting activity to approve any determinations to select more than five offerers to submit phase two proposals for a two-phase design-build construction acquisition valued at greater than $4 million. The proposed rule would not change the maximum number of offerers, which is currently five, that may be selected to submit phase two proposals without a contracting officer determination. However, for acquisitions valued above $4 million, the determination would have to have a higher level of approval for the contracting officer to select more than five offerers. The FAR notice explains that potential offerers may be more inclined to invest their pre-award efforts on solicitations where they have an increased chance of award. The second proposed rule would amend the FAR to implement a higher simplified acquisition threshold for overseas acquisitions in support of humanitarian or peacekeeping operations. A final rule published in 2004 to revise the definition of the SAT inadvertently deleted the reference to overseas humanitarian or peacekeeping missions and the doubling of the SAT in those circumstances. This proposed rule would reinstate the higher SAT for those acquisitions. And comments on both proposed rules are due by December so I'm gearing up for ranting. Are, are you ready? Uh, uh, rants, rants. Favorite part of the podcast. Uh, I, uh, I want to talk a little bit more um, this week about sort of the inadvertent hamstringing that is uh, being wrought by lawmakers upon poor, unsuspecting agencies. And let us subtitle this Penny Wise and Pound Foolish. Now, obviously, we kind of beat this horse a good bit. Uh, with, you know, the CR and was it going to happen, et cetera. So, but we saw more comments this week and, you know, definite, um, you know, numbers and, and effects uh, from Department of Defense officials who appeared at uh, an event. Uh, we, we saw Assistant Secretary for the Air Force for Acquisition, William LaPlante, who's talking about the 2013 sequester and how it obliged the service to just totally, you know, say no, thank you, sorry to uh, a surveillance system that they had expected to put in, $120 million program. And, um, you know, they they knew that they were probably, if the sequester came down, they wouldn't be able to afford it. And so they said, well, you know, we don't want to have to cancel the program partway through. So they just you right. know, forget it. So, you know, it put the program a year behind schedule. And um, so, was- you know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that one, that one, that was that's the one that was ready to go. They were ready to make an award, and then the budget uncertainty hit. And what could they do? Yeah, you know, yeah. They could either make make an award and maybe not have the money. And of course, by the time they got the money, the prices were out of date. Right. Absolutely. And then, so all that wasted time and effort for you know both the acquisition team, you know, in the service as well as all of their you know poor would be contractors, and um so but oh you know sequester well of course that's worse than you know what's been going on but Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Research Development and Acquisitions Sean Stackley piped in and he said that he thought the current budget environment is even worse than the 2013 sequester. Um, he said it was relatively minor compared to 2016. And, uh, you know, and they're still recovering from the, the damages done in 2013. And he said is a good, you know, thing. By and large, the uncertainty of not knowing what your budget will be puts you in shackles in terms of executing over the course of the year. I mean, it, and this is, this is really true. And there were two reports that lent some empirical evidence to, you know, this stuff. DOD came out with their huge, voluminous annual review of their entire acquisition enterprise. 
one thing that stuck out at me in here was how much of an effect uh, they are observing that penny pinching seems to have on defense programs for the entire tracking period, right, fiscal year 1970 onward. Uh, there were 151 major defense acquisition programs launched. Forty of those had cost growth of 50 percent or more, right? So these are huge expansion. Thirty-six of those were established under tight DOD budgets, all right? So 36 of 40, and it was in that penny-pinching environment. And uh, Frank Kendall noted that the unit cost growth on those programs was consistently running about three times higher than programs that were just started, you know, under normal circumstances. You know, there's another sort of more insidious effect, which was that he noted also the department is not going after as complex systems as it used to. And they're lower risk, yes, but he pointed out that Maintaining technological superiority, pushing what the state-of-the-art envelope is, is part of the whole point of defense acquisition and its program in the first place. And, you know, dialing it back to make sure that, you know, no mistakes are made, oh, we're playing it safe, is is starting to to undermine, you know, the, sort of losing the goal here. You know, not that DOD isn't doing a good job. Another important finding from this is, you know, the trend is uh, the MDAPs in general. There, there's a huge proportion that have been achieving reductions in, in two phases, both development and uh, procurement relative to their original milestone B baselines. Okay, so they're, you know, doing better on finding savings. Non-McCurdy breaches headed down. And for contracts that were initiated between the 2000 and 2000. 15 period, contractors are adhering more closely to or even sometimes beating their cost targets. Okay, so that was all great news. But it's just, I think you can't really underestimate the negative effects of this game of, you know, oh, chase the wallet uh, that Congress is making agencies play. And as always, it's easy to see in defense programs because big dollars, it's easy to see a big ripple coming out of that. Uh, but, you know, the nail in the coffin for me was actually a hearing on the Navy's Ford class aircraft carrier program. One thing that was pointed out, uh, Paul Francis appeared for GAO there, and he's managing director for acquisition and sourcing management. He pointed to something that is sort of an invisible effect, which is that things like the Ford class program, you see them going way over what initially they said it was going to be dollar-wise. But part of the reason for that, he noted, is because it is such a tight environment and everybody is kind of arm wrestling over those slices of the pie. People are being, they feel obliged to overpromise. Oh my gosh, it's going to be the most amazing technology ever and we're going to be able to do it for half the price of anything in the past. It, <laughs> and that was kind of, you know, right. the Navy was almost aiming for that really with the Ford class program, but it was, it was brand new. Oh, the first of its kind. You're not generally going to save money on the very first of its kind, right? You're cutting your teeth on what's going to happen. But I think it's creating, you know, Congress is inadvertently creating a really toxic environment where nobody knows what's happening with the money. They can't do any long-range planning. They're afraid to take any risks. They're afraid to push the envelope. They're afraid to, you know, really reach for the brass ring on anything, which that could advance technology or future programs, you know, to come behind it if you, you make a leap in something that can then be, you know, reproduced or passed on or whatever. So, you know, you're giving you're giving that up. But, you know, these costs are, are just escalating ridiculously and people are, people feel that they can't even be honest or be realistic, I think, about 
well, you know, we don't know what it's going to cost or, or whatever because, right, right. you know, it's the very first thing. And, you know, I just – I don't know what the solution is, although I do kind of want to go pick it outside and be like, two-year appropriations bills, you know, and nobody goes home until you pass all of them. You people <laughs> stop taking vacation all the time. Um, but, you know, it's just – I just want to at least acknowledge, you know, that it's, this is really, really tough. You know, it's really, I think, hamstringing. Um um, agencies and and it's it boy it really it raises my dander it does <laughs> it, it, yes it does clearly um, <laughs> <laughs> mine mine as well it's very frustrating because it seems like it should be such a simple process and and, and Frank Kendall has has talked about that previously you know when there's a tight budget environment people are very optimistic about what they can do with the limited funds that they have. They go, oh, well, we, we, you know, we, we only have $5 billion. Well, sure, we can do it in $5 billion. And their, their timelines are accelerated and they're more aggressive about what, they, what they're promising to do, whereas if they were really planning it out with, a, with an appropriate budget, they would, they would extend out the timeline. They would say it's going to take two years, it's going to take five years, it's going to take whatever. Um, you know, it's going to cost more. Um, and that, and those are the programs that run over. So yeah, it's you know whenever they're, it's not just that they're 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 cutting the budget. I mean, it does make sense to cut budgets here and there, but you know when you're when you're cutting them unrealistically, or when you're you know doing you know things across the board cuts like the sequester, um, it's just silly. It's just just you know you're setting numbers without going project by project and saying no, you're just not going to buy that at all. You know, spend, spend the money wisely, but you just can't. You know, you can't have everything. But when you when you spend it, spend it wisely. Right. Uh, would be much more smarter. But yeah, it, what is that? There's that construction adage, if you will. You can have it done quickly, or you can have it done well, or you can have it done fast. <laughs> you get to pick right, two right, things or whatever. I, I know I have one of those wrong, but um, fast, cheap, or well. That's yeah. okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so right, and yeah, you know. Well. Maybe with a limited budget, at least, you know, um, you could take your time. Uh, we do see a lot of the pitfalls occurring when the schedule the schedule is kind of falling and then, you know, they push development and testing together or they're putting things off. You know, that that definitely was a problem with the Ford class uh, ships, for yeah. example. They were like, oh, my gosh, we don't have enough time to do this, so we'll just we'll handle it all at the end. <laughs> so, right, but, right. Testing know. is one of the things that gets that gets dropped. They, 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 they accelerate the timeline so that they're in production before all the testing is complete and they're making changes on the fly, which is expensive. Very much so, especially when it's like, oh, we have 117 different incredibly complex technology systems that, oh, have to work together. I mean, I have right. problems talking to my modem sometimes with just my laptop, <laughs> so I can't even imagine like how terrible that would be. Um, but And then, of course, there's also the pressure of, oh, oh, it's the end of the fiscal year and you've got money left? Well, clearly you don't need it next year, so it's, it right. is, it's not even a catch-22. This is like a catch-55 or something. I don't... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but yeah. I, I think a really serious rethinking is is in order for, you know, be able to make long term meaningful improvements in how the money is being spent. And nobody wants to go back to the days of what was it, the seven hundred dollar infamous toilet seat or whatever. Um, but, you know, you do have to sometimes loosen the purse strings in order to be able to recoup greater results and greater savings at the end of the day. Yeah, well, we're not going to see any of that anytime soon. <laughs> let me just let me allay your fears. That, that's not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes. we've got, oh, we've got chaos in the House of Representatives. 
Kevin McCarthy, who was the everyone presumed was going to be the next speaker of the House, or at least nominated to be the next speaker of the House by uh, the Republican conference, uh, has uh, stepped aside. He he is going to remain as majority leader. He's not going to run for speaker. Uh, this the election uh, for the Republicans has been put off indefinitely. Uh, apparently, John Boehner, poor man, can't retire to save his life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? We've, you know, we've got the the debt ceiling. We've got, you know, a, con- a continuing resolution that expires in, you know, two months. You know, plus lots of, you know, the NDAA is about to be vetoed. It looks like we've got the, uh, you know, there's transportation bills out there. So that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a bumpy fall, I think, with money uh, issues. So. When is Scott coming back? I know it's getting the time draws near as the end of the year comes closer. Scott Cox to come back with his crystal ball and give us kind of the update on where he sees everything. That's got to be happening soon. So we'll have to we'll yes. we'll get you guys a, a date on that pretty soon and let you know because that's always a fun one to listen to. Yeah. So okay. Well, that's all we have for this time. If you are a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to the headlines we recapped for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. And you can also comment about the podcast. We like to hear your feedback on format or content. Uh, Give us your special coverage requests, anything else you'd like to tell us. Tune in again next Friday, October 16th, for another weekly news recap. Thank you so much for joining us.